this uh, welcome back to Bowie versus Dylan, our second episode. Um, I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I like Dylan. So the point of this podcast, as we said last time, is to finally determine once and for all who is better, David Bowie or Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's the answer. A, a series of really ridiculous, confusing uh, metrics that really only make sense to the two of us. But we feel like it's an important thing for some reason, so we're going to go with it. So today we're taking a look at in-depth, laser-focused look at the year 1976. So... Um, I'm going to kick things off about 1976 for David Bowie, and you're going to listen. Okay, Jake? Uh, Do I have to be here for this? Here's the thing about David Bowie. If David Bowie's 1976 could be summed up in one word, that word would be cocaine. (laughs) Um, Cocaine was such an important part of 1976, I actually looked online and I found 11 different slang words for cocaine that I'm hoping to mix. I'm hoping to mix in all 11 of them. Within the, the, this podcast, this is very so we'll see exciting. See if I get to all of them. Like for instance, so, okay. like for instance, it's snowing outside right now. Snow, ding ding ding! Like you could just do a little like ding 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 whenever I say one, but you right. don't have the list in front of you, so it's hard to say. But if you hear me use a euphemism for coke, ding ding ding! That's the first one on the list. It's kind of odd, but still. Oh, so if you call it cocaine, that counts. Okay. Well, coke, no coke, just coke. Oh, coke is because it's slang. The slide. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, this is what the kids are all saying on the streets, Jake. All right, okay. say, it, say it again. <laughs> Coke. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yes. So, I'm going to give you a quick rundown on 1976. So, 76 kicked off real strong with uh, one of his best albums, Station to Station. It came out right away in January. Hmm. Um, and so, it's, it always centered around Station to Station. Was, like, that's, that's what happened in the first half of the year. He did Station to Station. He went on tour for from February to May, and then in May, the end of May, he kind of ended the tour by releasing his first greatest hits album, Changes One Bowie, which is still maybe one of the, one of his best uh, greatest hits on top of it, even though you know it's really early in his career. Other big thing that happened this year is uh, his first starring role in a movie, the movie being The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is good. It's crazy, crazily weird, but he's great in it, and it's a good movie. That came out in March. Um, he missed the premiere and everything because he was touring. Mm. Um, and so that's the big. The second half of the year, he laid a lot lower. He finally actually started working. He got worked on cleaning up. Like he spent all of '75 and '76 uh, under mountains of blow. Ding ding ding. Thank thank you. Uh, and then he spent the second half of the year. He moved to Europe. He was hanging out with Iggy Pop, and the two of them were like trying to get clean together, which they eventually did. And they spent that time where they recorded. Uh, he pops solo album The Idiot and they recorded uh, Bowie's next solo album Low both happened in the end of 76 wow it's a couple other notable things I was doing a little research here I found some pretty choice cuts <laughs> uh, first one is I found he was on the Dinah Shore show do you know who Dinah Shore was yeah sure you know she was like that she's a 40s singer and then uh, yeah. she turned into a talk show host and he's on there with Henry Winkler. What? The Fonz? Which is just, oh, yeah. And this is just early Fonzmania. Fonzmania. Fonz. And, um, and so he's, like, squeaky clean and, you know, just young and very earnest and uh, really trying to, like, be famous and be this, like, likable guy. But I'll try to be deep. And Bowie's on there just uh, under the cover of Big C. Ding, ding, ding. Thanks. Um, and... Like, he doesn't even look like he has any clue what's going on or does not care. He seems like kind of <laughs> ultimately amused and confused about the, the normal conversations happening around him at the time. I mean, the guy looks like he, he had about 100 pounds most at the time. 
Mm. was super skinny and they and obviously everyone else was kind of slightly intimidated by him and like thought he was cool and he did not know what was going on it was like doing all these saying all these weird things about everything but he also had a couple pretty bang up performances on there uh he did stay in five years both of them were pretty pretty great he also did some uh really ridiculous interviews with uh, cameron crow oh yeah there's ones from 75, too, but there's a really good one was from it 76. For, was it for this Rolling is, this Stone? This is the one we mentioned last time where he talks about Dylan. So I read the oh. whole thing. Look at the whole thing. So that's just one small part of all of this. But again, there was so much powder. Ding, ding, ding. Going on with this guy at the time that uh, like he, I, I don't even know. He comes across as unbelievably arrogant and pretentious and into himself. Just like, to me, he's the best. Um, the interesting thing and the fun thing about his interviews at the time are... The guy was like constantly thought he was going to do everything and then didn't do anything. He's constantly talking about all these different plays he's writing and these movies he's going to direct. Yeah. And he talks about how he's going to be prime minister someday. And uh, he's doing paintings all the time. And he's like talks about all these projects he's going to do all the time. He's going to like stage some giant concert in Carlsbad Caverns. And he's like, it just like insists that he's going to do all this stuff. And he's going to, and ironically, he keeps insisting that he's going to stop doing music. And then the only thing he ever ends up releasing is music. And now he was writing a book at the time about yeah. like a semi-autobiographical short story collection called Return of the Thin White Duke, which it comes up. It's the, one of the main lines from one of the songs in Station to Station. Mm. And, uh, and none of it happens. And so I, uh, I personally blame the bump. Ding, ding, ding. That's a weird one. <laughs> the bump. Well, you, the bump. Will you say a bump, a bump of cocaine for some reason? Oh, sure. Okay, okay. I got that. That's then. what I'm guessing. Okay, <laughs> you're feeling a little more streetwise than me right now. <laughs> well, I never did cocaine, but uh, for some for whatever reason, I've read many rock and roll autobiographies. Well, I mean, then, then you would know all about Pearl. Pearl, ding ding ding. <laughs> Pearl, I've got them all. I'm, I'm not like, sure about Pearl. Anyway, uh, other interesting things in here. On March 20th, he was arrested Ooh. for drug charges. Ooh, good job. But. It wasn't for cocaine. It wasn't for cocaine. It was for marijuana. <laughs> oh, that's disappointing. And um, he is the only time he was ever arrested. And um, he claimed in this interview later on that he didn't even do marijuana. That it was like it was somebody else's marijuana. He didn't want them to get in trouble, so he just was like, "Whatever, it's marijuana." It is the dumbest he excuse. He wasn't indicted or anything. And I just like I feel like he was probably uh, one of the great things about this is if you you know when you look at celebrity mugshots. Yeah. It's always like, you look at this like, pretty face, and all of a sudden it's like haggard and like destroyed and despondent and just like awful looking, and they all of a sudden look like worse than normal people. Yeah. In Bowie's mugshot, <laughs> he's like, he's so elegant, and he's so like refined. <laughs> the guy looks good in his mugshot. Look up his mugshot, Jake, and just enjoy it, because it's so good. It's like, like the thin white mugshot. The thin white, oh, he's very much a thin white mugshot. It's so great. <laughs> and I think it's probably because he's sitting there going like, you guys just arrested me for a half pound of marijuana. That's hilarious. You did not realize I have 75 pounds of cocaine in the trunk of my car. You didn't bother to look. He's it's like, like, I feel like that's what he's going like. If this is what I'm getting arrested for, okay, all right, let's do it, this thing. He's like, this, is the, first, this is the first 20 minutes that I've been sober in three years. <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> essentially. And uh, I love a little uh, video clip that must have, you know, must have been a news clip or something on TV. And they had, they were talking to one of, you know, I don't know if it was his agent or his, you know, some representative from the record label, probably somebody, somebody representing Bowie, because Bowie didn't care. Um, talking about this and saying, you know, 
well, this is, you know, this is fallacious, this isn't true. So let's just, let's just think about this. If, if Mr. Bowie, who is such a, a well-known star, if he had been doing drugs, he would have arrested numerous times by now. Because <laughs> 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 that's what happens all the time, right? Don't say that, they man. Keep getting what? <laughs> it was a little, uh, what, the, the lady doth protest too much me things. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, uh, you're, yeah, you're defending him a little too hard right now. That's right. Clearly <laughs> so he's on drugs. Uh, What's that? Clearly he's on drugs. Clearly he's on drugs. But no, if he were on drugs, he would have been arrested many times by now. So we get a, we get a lot of, you know, interesting year. The first half of the year is very different than the second half of the year. Yeah. A lot more going on in the first half. You read a lot more about him. Right. Actually cleaned up and got, you know, somewhat lucid by the end of it. Um, and then the famous thing about Station to Station is he, uh, he claims to not remember recording Oh, it that's the one he doesn't know that that's he That's the one he does not remember because he was doing so much cocaine. Wow, that's so, a lot of cocaine. Okay, well cocaine. that's a, that's a good transition uh, to Dylan. Wait, wait, I mean, by, <coughs> oh, sorry. by cocaine I meant uh, dust line rail snow powder ding, stash. Ding, I think I got ding, them all. Ding, 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 there. Ding, 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 I think Dylan was probably doing a little bit of coke in '76. I think he was doing a little bit of everything. He was kind of he was out there. What was his? What were his drug choices? <clears throat> all of them. Because Bowie was all about the uppers. Yeah, yeah, like, no, he just Bowie. Wanted to keep working, working, working. He would take more and more cocaine, so he could like be in the studio for four straight days or something. He'd do this, you know. Yeah, Bob was. Uh, I think. I think drinking. I think alcohol was a big through yeah. line. Yeah, yeah. But I. I think he did. He kind of did it all without being remembered for doing any one of okay. the things. Like. Clearly in the 60s, he was, because of his lyrics and things, he was associated with marijuana when that was a far more yeah, dangerous sure, association. Sure. Um, but, like, reports are in the 80s, he was doing heroin at the end of the 80s, he was in a real bad okay. spot. Um, cocaine, uh, I think maybe some hallucinogenics and stuff like that. Like, he was... I can kind of see that. He, throughout the 70s especially, he was just loaded. He was loaded all the time. So you, just would, don't, you, you don't think of him as being, he's not like a, like a Keith Richards or something. No. Like this drug icon where you're like, you know, you, you, the first thing you think of with Keith Richards is drugs. At least I do. No, but like. But you don't think of that with Bob. Like that doesn't come up immediately. Uh-uh. But stories are that he would, you know, he would get himself in trouble and like people couldn't understand how it was that he would give a good concert sometimes because he'd be uh-huh. so, such a mess backstage beforehand. Like he definitely, he definitely medicated himself. Uh, pretty pretty consistently, and I think he did. I think he did clean up in the in the early '90s for good. Okay, you know. Okay, I don't know if he's like on the wagon or whatever, but okay, definitely, definitely he lost. In the late '70s, he was cleaning up from hard drugs. But he yeah. had a lot of alcohol problems throughout the '80s, and he seems like he was more or less okay from the early '90s, especially after he married Iman. Like that seemed to have straightened him out a little bit. Yeah, got him on the straight. And then he was like, and then he was working with these other people, and you know, like helping out. Other dudes to uh, to clean up, which is you know it's, it's good of them. It's good, good for you, Bob. Good for you. Good for you. Know, you. Bob, I just said Bob. <laughs> I told you Dave. you're going to talk about Dave. Bowie. But uh, Trent Reznor gives gives David Bowie credit for uh, for helping him clean up. Oh, that's great. No, bunch of nice, bunch of nice sunny guys. You know, just a couple nice fellas. Just a couple nice fellas. You not, know, not doing lots and lots just of drugs. Helping each other stay sober. Helping each other. Just, yeah, just, just supporting each other, being right. sensitive, you know, as men do. So picture yourself, Charlie. The year is, <laughs> the year is 1976. You did this exact same bit last time. <laughs> it's America's bicentennial. 
That means it's 200th year anniversary. Now, I know Bowie didn't know anything about that because he's not an American, even though he wrote a song called Young Americans. He's been living in America for like three or four years at that point. He'll never be an American. He's released an album called Young Americans. He'll never be a young American is what I'm trying to say. Sing about Nixon. Yeah, and some bunch of other stuff. I love that song. Anyway, (laughs) so Dylan started out, this is interesting, Dylan started out... uh, 1976 by releasing his album right away in January. I wonder, okay. like, I don't know the exact date that he did so. I know, it's same like, now I'm wondering, I'm going to look it up while you're talking. Okay, you do that. Um, it's called Desire. It's a very good album. Um, it is uh, a follow-up to Blood on the Tracks, which is generally considered, like, his third or fourth best album ever. But Desire wasn't far behind. It's considered, like, between his seventh and tenth best album ever. Okay. Okay. Desire is January 5th. Station okay. Station was January 23rd. Boom. So Desire did come out a little bit first. So Dylan wins again. <laughs> uh, is he, like, coming out half-cocked at work because he needed that extra two weeks to polish it up, Jake. Come on, he, he, right, on. right. Yeah. Go on. Any, keep any, going. Any, keep anywho. Going. So keep going. We'll, one day we'll do 1975, which is one of Dylan's great years. Um, yeah. And part of that... The one the one word for 75 is also cocaine for Dylan. Great. Enough. Great. Bump. <laughs> Sir Bumps a lot, they called him. <laughs> Bump, just Bumps, yeah. Just yeah. Sir, Sir Bumps. They could have they called him that, sure. Why yeah, not? they should have. Maybe they did. He won't remember. <laughs> well, he's dead now, so he wouldn't remember anyway. Oh, oh. Poor David. All right, keep going. I'm trying. You keep interrupting me with cocaine <laughs> stories. Uh, mm. Mm. So he... Uh, <clears throat> What happened in the latter half of 1975, after he released Blood on the Tracks, was right. he got he got he got his mojo back. He started having all kinds of crazy ideas. He wanted to do this great tour called the Rolling Thunder Review, which where he would gather a bunch of musicians and go out on the road. This is when he met Mark Ronson, our friend, the Mick dear Ronson. Mick Ronson, dear Mick, dear dear man, dear. who was left in the garbage by Bowie. What a fucking dear man. What a fucking man he was. Um, uh, he picked up him. He picked up Emmylou Harris. They went out okay. on the road, and they started working on the songs that would become Desire. And they okay. start. And they he actually recorded it, obviously, in 1975, because he put it out like New Year's Day, right. 1976. Right. Okay. But, so there were two sections of the Rolling Thunder Review tour. One was in the latter half of 1975, and it was a roaring success, like... They just sold out everything. He was on all the magazines. He's just like, he's as back as he can be, basically. 1976, he releases the album and all is going well. It's very well received. It's critically acclaimed. I'm looking on Best Ever Albums, which is a website that aggregates uh, charts for 1976 and all the other years and lets us know like what was the best received album of that uh-huh. year. So like 1976, for instance, Station to Station is number three. And oh yeah, desires number seven. Okay, so we're in the Still top. Nice, nice show, nice showings all around. Good showing, absolutely. Good yeah. one, good one for Bob. So yeah. he releases and, this, and David as well. Yeah, we don't. No, that's fine. We're talking about okay. Bob right now. Keep going. Okay. Um, does he remember charting that high? He doesn't remember recording <laughs> the album, but he remembers being something that high. But, <laughs> he yeah. remembers being high. Great. Uh, so Bob, emboldened, goes out on a second leg of the Rolling Thunder review. They go out and something's not quite the same. He kind of pairs down his his uh, his set list. He pairs down the number of people playing. He invites, you know, like Joan Baez is there, and okay. 
some people have dropped out. Like Those Rod's, two have a, comp- a long, complicated relationship. Oh, we could do. We'll have, to get in, we'll have to get in that some other time. We'll have to do that. Yeah, that'll be a late '60s one probably. <clears throat> um, and they're you know they're rolling around uh, along to borrow the phrase and. Um, their plan was to release a second album that year, a live album called Hard Rain, which they did. Um, CBS, which is also a TV station, as well as... Right. um, (laughs) Thank you for that. As well as being the (laughs) Columbia Broadcasting System, Uh whatever it is they're called. So they are going to release this album at the same time that they run a TV special. And so they try to, like... You know, build momentum for this kind of thing um, all throughout the summer and into the fall. And then um, by the end of the tour, everyone is just like, they're just kind of burnt out, all of them, including Bob. They've just been on the road for like a year straight, you know, doing this crazy carnivalesque show, doing all these drugs, picking up new musicians in every town and trying to integrate all this. And so the, uh, the live album ends with, you know, comes out with a thud. And the TV special comes out with a thud. And then, like, all, the, all of a sudden, it's, like, over. You know, this big, you know, kind of two-year-long, two like, <laughs> dream. the shortest comeback, like, goodwill of anybody. I know, and he really tried, too. He wasn't, like... Which is why... It's got to be why he has so many comebacks. He just has to come back so many times. Like, well, he's, hey, I'm back! He's a restless... Like, well, <laughs> Dylan's gone again. He's a restless soul, you know? He can't do you know, any... Bowie's, he can't... Bowie's comebacks at least lasted a couple of years, usually, you know? Yeah, this one was probably a couple of years, I would say. He tried to get it back later in 1978. We'll talk about that someday. That went that went even more po- poorly. So I just have a note about the TV special. Uh, I watched it. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, in 1976, they had... Now, I don't watch a lot of TV these days, but when I do, it seems like a very uh, pageantry-filled process. There's like uh-huh. lots of stimulation and lights and yelling yeah, yeah. and screaming and obnoxious people like yelling at you and human interest stories and such like that. This TV special... It literally, like, the the screen fades in, and the curtain is coming up, and Bob is already playing a song. And it was just it was just a concert for 55 minutes. Uh-huh. Like, you could tell when they went to commercial break, because it would black out for a second and then come back. Uh-huh. And at the end, like, he's still singing a song, and they're, like, featuring Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, <laughs> this, this, uh-huh. this other person, Mike Ronson, Mark Ronson, Mac Ronson, Mick Ronson. Mick Ronson? Mick Ronson. Right? Mick. Mick, Mick, I know. It's Remember Mick, but that's right. Mix. We had a thing with Mick. Every okay. side man in early 70s is named Mick. Hey, oi, Mick. Mick's flowing like water. Hey, Mick. Oi, Mick. And they're all what? wearing like... Sweet um... solo. Nice... No, I can't say sweet. Nice solo. Nice solo. Nice, nice spooking solo. And by that, I mean it sucks, <laughs> Mick. Get off get, the stage. Get it together, Mick. Make way for another Mick. There's another one right around the corner. <laughs> His name is Mick, and he's better than you. His name is Mick, he's great. He's great. He's great. He's the new Mick. You're the old Mick, Mick. Anyway, Hard Rain kind of blew. Um, <laughs> let me see. No, I'm, I mean, like, okay. Okay, get yeah, back at this from now, though. I know it didn't okay. have a good, a good feel of the time. Yeah. But listening to this album, is, is the live album good now? It is not as good as it could have, as the reputation okay. of the, the, of the um, tour suggests. Okay. And okay. in I don't. Yeah, I've heard of that tour. Like that's you know. It's, it's a, a very tour. famous it's a tour. tour. And what redeemed it a little bit was they went back and they um, one of the bootleg series is the Rolling Thunder review from the first okay. half of the tour in 1975. Okay. 
and it is much better. You know, it has like a lot more energy and a lot more kind of like convivial musicianship and everyone's like, yeah, you know, but um, Bob was doing this thing and he did this in 1974 when he came back to tour where he would play his old songs again, which of course delighted everyone. He had refused to do that for a long time, but he kind of plays them in this 70s style rock and roll way. And he, okay. it kind of it kind of wore on you after a while. Like, did, he, yeah, did it alienate everybody again? <clears throat> no, no, I did wouldn't say that. Judas? No, no one yelled Judas. They were done doing that. So you know, okay. good. It'd been done. Yeah, it'd been yeah, done. Yeah. yeah, hey, you can't do it again. Yeah, let's not kill Christ all over again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but for Talk me, to, to my ears, this is personal preference, and probably the preference of some other people. Like. It just got a little obnoxious after a while. Like he's really yelling and yowling and doing, uh-huh. you know, doing his songs in these. He's really going for it, but he's. Yeah. It's. Um, I don't know. There's not a lot of sensitivity to it. I want to say. Okay. If that's, if that's uh, the way the way to say it. So, he, he ends that year and. Um, I don't know when to talk about this. Whether this is seventy five or seventy six, he had had a. Uh, do you know the name Sam Shepard? He's a playwright. Yeah. 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 He, he became. I'm trying to think of his, I've, I've, I've read a couple of his plays and I can't. Exactly. Him, but, you know, keep going. He was famous. Uh, he was yeah. part of the co- counterculture at the time. He was just coming up. Dylan um, asked him to come write a screenplay for a movie that he wanted to do while he was on the tour called Ronaldo okay. and Clara. And this okay. was going to be like a sort of a. Uh, oh, what's that French film style? That cinema verite. Where they were gonna, you know, they were gonna write scenes on the fly for all of the people in the Rolling Thunder review, and they were all gonna, you know, it was gonna be a romance, but you know, kind of uh, improvisational, and they were all gonna have these scenes, and like some of the people were terrified because they had never been on screen before or whatever. Like he had gotten them off the street in New York to come on this tour, and all of a sudden he's like, "Hey, you want to be in a movie? It's called Ronaldo and Clara." And the movie did eventually come out, and I think it was horrible. I've never seen it. Um, when did it come out? I think uh, late later seventies. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about it another time. But so we'll things things got things got very confused, and things got very like they just got burnt. Like he was on a he was just doing a lot of drugs. Everyone was, yeah. You know, yeah. like they started out with you know being very excited and you know using those drugs for energy, and then it just ended up right. Like, dragging them down. So he ended yeah. 1976 in not in not a great spot. He started out like on top. I think okay. I think Desire went to number 1, if not that like number 2. Like it was a big Okay. It was a big deal. And it's a great yeah. album and we'll talk about it when we get to our point systems, but Yeah. So that's that's Bob's year. Which is probably right now. Yeah, let's do it. Um do you want <laughs> So okay, for the for the people listening at home, we have this kind of convoluted way of trying to determine somewhat objectively who is better, which mm-hmm. is a, you know, it's a subjective question, but we're going to try to figure it out anyway. So we've come up with a system whereby what the guy did in the year is worth a certain number of points. And because both of our guys managed to do horrible things at different times, like release horrible albums and stuff, the way it's working is it's like a negative to positive point system. So for instance, we're talking about albums. We've got Station to Station and Desire on here. The lowest score a, a, an album could get is negative five. Ouch. That'd be if it was like the worst thing ever. And I, but we never managed a negative five. He got down there, but I don't think he ever. He never a had a negative five, five. I don't think so. 
All right. There's no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Okay. Nothing. Well, I don't know. I mean, I expect some negative fours in his catalog somewhere. I know Dylan has. I some. mean, he, he got probably down to negative three, negative four. I have to think about it when I get there. But you know. I mean, can you give anyway. me? Can you give us an example of a negative five album? Like, I don't know. If, I don't know if I own one. You know, <laughs> where there's absolutely nothing where you cannot sit through this at all. Uh, like, I mean, what about I like? Don't know. What about Lou Reed and Metallica made that like, well, was, Lulu or something? I don't know. I didn't listen to that one. Well, I heard that was a negative five. Let's just say that's I heard the, it was awful. I, okay. So that's our standard. It's terrible. That's your standard. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll just say it. Neither of us have listened to it, but we heard it's bad. So, sure. <laughs> well. And then the highest you can be is a five. Right. And, and those so are like all timers. pristine perfection. And I'm talking like, even in my own view, I'm thinking of Bowie. I, I can only think of two of those albums that I would give perfect fives. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying two to three at the most for Dylan. Yeah, yeah. So this is our system. It's going to work that way with different things. Live albums are worth less number of points. It's not as important as studio albums in our opinion. Singles are worth something in there. Um, and other stuff, tours will get points in there. Mad, uh, movies or other side projects like that are all worth points in there too. So let's take a look at our points here. Okay. So I'm going to kick things off here. we got Station to Station is the big album from Bowie. Yep. I'm going to expand on this a little bit because I feel like we need to understand some, some stuff behind this album. Yeah, for sure. Um, so first of all, Station to Station is one of his very best albums. I think, in my opinion, probably his third best album. Third it's best so ever. Good. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. Um, and they, what you have to understand with Station to Station is you have to understand how Bowie worked in the early to mid-70s. Was he created these characters, the most famous of which is Ziggy Stardust. But rather than like going on an album and being himself, he created these characters and essentially portrayed these characters making their own albums, sort of. And so it's this kind of like weird method acting thing, which in every case colored his personal life and uh, kind of did bad stuff for him. And he kind of said, Station to Station is the last one where he did this. Um, but it's an interesting way of working. He was very theatrical always, and this is what it, essentially taking out a role. And the role for Station to Station, and this is coming up in the late in the late uh, in late seventy five, was definitely inspired by him doing this film, The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is about an alien who travels to Earth and is searching for water to bring back to his family who's dying, and he's very other than everyone else, which Bowie was at the time. And he was uh, Bowie was doing way too much cocaine. He was getting super paranoid and seeing all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Like I mean, this guy he was messed up. He thought um, he thought there were. This happened in one of the interviews with Cameron Crowe. Is he stopped the interview in the middle because he thought he saw a body fall past the window? Oh no! He was convinced that his neighbors are out to get him and stuff. He was convinced Jimmy Page was trying to do something to him. Oh no! He was getting really into the occults, which he did at various times, and the guy was just messed up. So seventy-five, in the second half of seventy-five, was all like preparing for seventy-six. Essentially, he uh, he shot the man who sold, or the man who fell to earth in uh, the middle of seventy-five for like three months in New Mexico. He was relatively clean during that time because he had to be for the movie and actually looks fairly healthy in the movie and after the movie was over he went right right off the wagon mm, good um, for him he made station to station in like i don't know written down january october something like that not january october uh like august to october something like that and then afterwards he started working on a soundtrack to the man who fell to earth mm. which he never managed to complete and it never has been released it's one of those like holy grails of, yeah, of david yeah. bowie is that one of the songs ended up reworked on Low in 77. But the rest of them, which he never finished, it's only about a half of an album anyway, but none of them have ever been released, and it's all like, you know, one day, I hope that comes out. Anyway, this, his character for Station to Station is the Thin White Duke, which is one of his famous alter egos, but yes. this was a specific character. 
And he's had others, you know, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, Halloween Jack are his big ones. And, um, and he basically makes this entire album as the Thin White Duke, who is a guy, like, he's kind of aristocratic and rich, apparently, you know, definitely <laughs> thinks highly of himself. Um, but he's also, like, empty inside. And so he sings these station stations full of love songs sung by somebody who doesn't know how to love, which is a weird way of putting this, but mm. and weird way to say that it works, but it does. But it's kind of like hollow, empty songs, but purposefully, and it works somehow. So it's going along with the soul period. You know, Young Americans is the epitome of the soul period. Station to Station is very much soul, but it's also moving into the weirder, like, Rocky-inspired mm. stuff uh, from Low Heroes and Lodger, which are come after. Yeah. Um, and he kind of probably took on this persona. There was a lot of Nazi imagery in his mind at the mm. time. He got in trouble for some of that stuff. He was uh, he was stopped at the border of the Russian, the Polish-Russian border for having Nazi paraphernalia when he was on tour. You should definitely he, uh, have that stuff around. He was talking about the stuff. He talked about Hitler being the original rock star and stuff, and he was he was just messed up. Oh, and so he, got, he was getting in a lot of trouble. There was a lot of bad press around him at various times. With that said, Station to Station is, uh, I believe it's his second best-selling album wow. in America. Anyway, really? ever. After, after 1983's Let's Dance, of course. Um, and so it hit a chord with America. It did much better in America than the United States, or than, uh, than, than the UK. Interesting. Uh, there was another occasion where he was supposedly caught. You got the other picture of him where it looks like he's giving a Nazi salute. <laughs> I mean, that one seems like it was really ridiculous. It really seems like they caught him mid-wave. And anybody mid-wave looks like they're giving a Nazi salute. Sure. You know, if it's like an overhead wave. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, with your fingers and so that pointed out and like stuff. Ridiculous. But there was a lot of this stuff happening in the first half of the year. He was not getting all the best press. And he was doing these bizarre interviews with Cameron Crowe where he's, yeah, talking about Hitler being the first rock star and how he's going to be like, like what we're saying, he's going to become a dictator someday. Like, just because. Kind of admiring fascism, saying stuff like that. He was messed up. Nice. So, um, Safe Sensation is amongst all of this. And somehow, again, somehow it works. Okay. There's, you know, a lot of cocaine. The, uh, <clears throat> the initial title track, which is over 10 minutes long, and making it the longest studio recording he ever released, uh, Includes the line, like, includes the line, the return of the thin white duke. It also contains the line, uh, satisfied effects of the cocaine. I'm thinking that it must be love. Whoa. Deep. Uh, so we got that in there. We have, um, the big hit from Station Station is Golden Years. Which yes. Is, it's a classic. Love that it's song. a classic song. You totally gotta love classic. that song. I do. Oh, I do, too. That's not actually that much like the rest of the album. Okay. It's, it has more to do with, uh, young Americans, I would say. He's got, uh, Wild as the Wind. Is a is a cover of this like Johnny Mathis song? Yeah, I know from one song. of his movies where he's all like, you know, in the original version, it's very much like a straight up, you know, fifties love song. It's from like fifty seven or something originally with Johnny Mathis. You know, wild is the wind. Uh, and then Nina Simone did a version in the sixties that inspired Bowie to do. He more did a cover of the Nina Simone version than the Johnny Mathis. Yeah, version. yeah, I know the Nina That's Simone. Pretty, it's pretty sweet. It's got a movie about or a song about called TVC One Five that seems to be about um, Iggy Pop's TV. And some woman, like, getting sucked into it or something. Okay. Again, I don't know. It works. Great. Anyway, the album is only six tracks long, but it's Whoa, their longest Whoa, is that right? Songs. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know Golden that. Years is by far the shortest song on the album. Yeah. But it's it's just, it's, yeah, it's a good one. I don't know okay, what so what, what do you give it? So I am giving this one a four, which would be the second highest possible, wow. you know, okay. five, five the highest level. I'm All giving right, it a so, four. So we're going to give that one a four. 
It also be noted this song that uh, this album was uh, was name checked by Kraftwerk in their album the following year, Trans Europe Express. They have okay. a line about station to station and meeting uh, Iggy Pop and David Bowie. Wow, which is just kind of it's just kind of cool. Yeah, because everyone loves Kraftwerk a lot. Hey, you know some people <laughs> giving this podcast like Kraftwerk quite a bit. Well, I bet there's some Bowie Kraftwerk overlap. At, at least at least one person addressing this, this doing this podcast right now likes Kraftwerk. I was going to say, I think that person is you. Just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> Great. All right. So you're giving that a four. I'm going to give, uh, I'm just going to talk about Desire for a minute here. Um, Bob returns for the second time since he was in the civil rights movement to activism. Okay. Uh, First song, his first single called Hurricane, which was a pretty big deal. Um, He uh, addresses the plight of a middleweight middleweight boxer, an African-American named Reuben Carter, who was incarcerated for a triple murder in New Jersey. Okay. And um, he, Bob, read his book that Reuben Carter wrote in jail, and he became convinced that this guy was innocent. And so he just kind of out of the blue, like, writes this extremely great popular song about how he should be let out of prison. Like, everyone okay. had been bothering him for 10 years, basically, or longer. Right. Longer than 10 years to, to return and, you know, use his powers for good. Um, uh-huh. And then all of a sudden he just kind of did. And in 1985, I mean, it took a little while, um, this guy got released from prison. So wow. that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just going to put that as he had two singles. I'm just going to talk about the singles now, and then we can go back to your okay. singles. So that was the first single. That's that's a plus one for sure. And then okay. the second single was called Mozambique, which was like <laughs> – so there's a lot to explain about this album. One is that uh-huh. he he co-wrote seven of the nine songs with a playwright and a director named Jacques Levy, who I don't know what else okay. this guy has done. But he uh, met him, you know, during this post Blood on the Tracks glow when he was back in New York. He was estranged from his wife. He was just he was living it up. Let me tell you, the drugs, the parties. The women. The sweet, sweet pearl. The sweet, sweet pearl. Whatever it was he was doing, he was doing it all. And he just got, like, social all of a sudden. He just was, okay. like, in this group of people. And he was inviting all these people in and um, to play with him and write with him and collaborate, which is not really – that wasn't really his thing. He would, like, push people away and do it all himself. But all of a sudden, he kind of had this resurgence of, of social music making. You know, he uh, okay. he watched – Patti Smith's band in 1975. They were working out their uh, their material at this bar called the Bitter End or the Other End or something in New York. And he went there and got it in his head that he wants to make his own band. He'd never had okay. his own band before. So he thought, I'm going to put together this band and we're going to tour, we're going to do the Rolling Thunder review and all this. So this included this, this guy, this playwright, Jacques Levy, and... Um, one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs is Isis, which is on Desire. And uh, I think that might have been like lyrically written by Jacques Levy. I might have to stop okay. calling it one of my favorite Dylan lyrics. I just assumed because he doesn't actually – I don't know if he gives co-writing credit to Jacques Levy on this. It says all songs okay. by Bob Dylan and like thanks to Jacques Levy. <laughs> thanks for writing all <laughs> these for, great songs. Thanks for hanging out with me while I was writing this song. Yeah, but he had the idea for the uh, – for the lyric, it's a story. It's kind of a, it's kind of a hero's journey story. But Jacques apparently wrote the lyrics, which are hilarious. They're great. Like I love okay. them. 
Anyway, his second single was Mozambique. It was an exercise between the two of them to see how many rhymes they could come up with the eek on the end of Mozambique. <laughs> that sounds awful. It's not as bad as it sounds, but I'm still going to okay. give it a zero. Okay. It's not a negative, okay. but it's not a plus, so I'll give it a zero. Okay. There's other better songs on the album, including okay. there's a Dylan classic called One More Cup of Coffee, which has been covered a million times. Oh, Sister is okay. a great song. He enlisted Emmy Lou Harris, who has this way of kind of showing up in all of these great albums. Uh-huh. Throughout the seventies, I love Emmy Lou Harris. Um, she's on this singing beautifully as usual. Okay. Um, Black Diamond Bay is a great song, and then I'll just talk about two more songs before I give my rating. He got himself in trouble for writing a song with Jacques Levy called Joey, which was about a gangster, a New York, maybe New Jersey gangster, and he romanticizes. <laughs> the best kind. He well, the only kind really. <laughs> He romanticizes this guy. He writes a 12-minute song about this guy's life. He like ended up um, getting getting shot um, to death in his restaurant or something like that. But uh-huh. it, the 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 chorus is like, "What made them want to blow you away?" <laughs> you know, he's like he kind of he kind of makes this guy into a in, into kind of a good human being, but he was an awful human being. He was a gangster. He Killed people. He was in prison for a long time. Apparently, he participated in like a a gang rape in prison or something. Or okay. He, he hurt a child or something. Like so he's talking about this boxer and like doing good stuff. Exactly. You know? So you and then doing this one too and kind of like ruins his credibility. Yeah, and everyone was like, oh, and so all these activists <laughs> who were like, because the single came out first, obviously, uh-huh. were like, yay, Bob, and they heard Joey and they're like, oh, Bob. <laughs> Oh, what, the Buffy Gangster? What are you doing? And of course, Bob never never said anything about it. He never addressed it, except this is, this is to me, this is quintessential Bob. Throughout, throughout the 90s, the only song that he played in concert regularly off of his seventh greatest album of all time was Joey. Sure, sure. You sure. And in 2012 or nine or something, he gave one of his few interviews, and he just said, "Well, Jacques Levy wrote it. It wasn't me." <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks, still. Bob. <laughs> still, you can't defend this guy. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of real like it's a really romantic record. It's like very okay. like exotic. He uses Middle Eastern melodies and he uses a lot of Spanish melodies. He sings in Spanish on one of the songs. It's a you know it's a very evocative record. It's like really good. Okay. I I like it a lot and I I will give it a high rating. The last thing to say about it is that he wrote his by far most confessional uh, pointed song. It's called Sarah, which was the name of his estranged wife at the time. And he just basically like wrote a song for her, asking her you know, to come back to him. And the take that is on the record, he sang for her in the studio the first time she had visited him in like a year or something. So she comes to wow. New York, and he's singing this song for her. Uh-huh. You know, and I guess it affected her, and they got back for a little while. She still they filed... They did? Okay, that was what I wanted to know. Yeah. And it, it, it worked for a little. Um, she, okay. she still filed for divorce the next year. Oh, that's um, yeah. yeah. The funny part about Blood on the Tracks is that that's the great divorce record, but they weren't divorced at the time. Okay. They, they, separated. Yeah. Estranged, okay. I think they keep calling Estranged, it. Estranged, yeah. yeah. So that's very interesting. And he like makes yeah. an allusion to him writing another song about her from Blonde on Blonde in this song. And that's okay. just not that's not his modest operandi. He does not go okay. he does not go truth. He goes like obfuscation at all times. Right. So, all right. I'm going to give it But we had Dylan both. 
Yeah. Make this slightly more complicated, and rather than just talking about ourselves, let's do it. Let's do it. So I'm gonna say uh, I want to give it a four because it's his seventh best album wow. of all time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I say anything, and Bob has 38 studio albums and a bunch uh-huh. more live ones, and um, I'd say anything is top ten is gonna be a four for me. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, but. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think I'm like through. I think I got, you know, I only have two fives, but I think I got a lot of fours for Bowie. I might have three fives. Okay. okay. So if that's okay. all right with you, I'll go four. Because right. Hard Rain came out that year as well. And okay. I'm looking at best ever albums. It's the 125th best record of 1976. <laughs> it is the 1,411th best record of the 70s. Uh-huh. And all time, Charlie, get this <laughs> a real winner, 9,000th. And thirty second best album of all time. Nine thousand. Okay. All right. Just nice just one. over that nice nine. Right. I feel like if you could get it under nine thousand, it'd be a success. <laughs> so it's a you know, it's a live it's album. Better. It's not it's not horrendous. He has way worse live albums. So I'm going to okay. give it a negative one. Okay. And so that kind of brings his year down to a three. Um, and his okay. singles his singles are at a are at a plus one collectively. He had two singles okay. that year. So you go ahead and tell your singles. All right, well, okay. So we got the Station to Station only had six tracks on it. Eventually, five of those six tracks were released as singles. Wow. This That's crazy. crazy. I know. Now, Golden Years was released as a single in uh, 75. So that one will count it for 75. does not count for 76. We're looking oh. at just releases in 76. The next one to be released was Station to Station, the, the title track, which is over 10 minutes long on, wow. the, uh, on the album. And they edited it down to like three and a half. Good for choice. some reason. Good choice. The song on Station Station like, starts with a minute of like train sounds, like which establishes the beat. And it goes under this like uh, new, I don't know if it's new or no, I have it pronounced it that bad, uh, like that kind of motorific beat and like gets all, you know, crazy and everything. Sure. They cut all that stuff out and just took like the close to the last rim. Anyway, the song itself is so great, but this like the single tiny little version. cut doesn't deserve it. Yeah. So I, okay. give, I give it a zero. It's okay. still listenable, but it doesn't deserve points. All right. Um, the second single of the year was TVC 15, yeah. which is the big one. Uh, that second, that, that's the other one actually charted after uh, after Golden Years, and that's the one about the television set that swallows the girlfriend or something. It's it's good song though. I give that one a one. All right. And that's going to stay another just yeah boss track after this album. I give that one a one as well. Sure. Won't get into this too much. Yeah, yeah, don't. And the next thing to note is he had another single that year that was not from Station to Station. Because he released his first best of, best greatest hits oh, collection that year okay. called Changes One Bowie. Yeah. Um, Changes One Bowie is is good. It's all killer, no filler. Plus one. We start, you know, we kick it off with like all its big hits. We get Space Oddity, we had Changes, which wasn't a hit immediately. Um, oh, two non single tracks from Ziggy Stardust. He did not go with Starman, did not go with Minage Daydream. Why not? He kicked it with uh, Ziggy Stardust, the actual song Ziggy Stardust, and Suffragette City. Neither of which had been singles at the time. But that made it a hit, because I know that song. Yeah, Suffragette City was released as a single for the the Greatest Hits collection. Yeah, okay. So that's an awesome song. That one gets a point as well. It is a song. Okay. Um, And so then the other changes one, Bowie then goes on to Gene Genie. We get Diamond Dogs and Rebel Rebel. We get Young Americans. Yeah, all the classics. We get Fame. And we get Golden Years, and they're done, because that's how far his career got. Wow. And it's really like, you know. That's a good one. Really careful. Like, three of his albums didn't get any songs represented, because he's like, whatever guys not doing those uh and a couple of them had double and like it's just it's really and then there was a, a non-album single john i'm only dancing which he recorded and released as a single no less than three different times yeah, good one uh, okay 
Good song. Anyway, that that the the uh, greatest hits collection deserves a one pointer as yep. well. I think. Yeah, for sure. gets one point. I agree. Um, then he did an awesome tour, the Isolar tour. Okay. No one knows, seems to know what Isolar means. Uh, the what I found online was maybe it's Isolar because Isola is Italian for island, and isolation plus solar equals equals isolar. I don't know. That sounds like that sounds like Sir Bumps had an idea. <laughs> well, he had such a good idea that he used that name again for his 1978 tour, which he called the Isolar Two Tour. <laughs> so, but the tour was good. They did, you know, he got so theatrical with different of his tours, especially the Diamond Dogs tour, which was right before it was the tour before this one, where he had gigantic, crazy sets, and there were like sure. all kinds of extras and over. I don't think they know if the tour even made money because it was so expensive. Um, and there's barely, like, there's, no, there's no footage of it, or barely any footage of it, which is too bad, but it was crazily theatrical and giant and ridiculous. So for this one, he really scaled it back. So these big banks of fluorescent lights, and that uh-huh. was it. Wow. Like, everyone's just sitting on that stage. He was wearing all white and black. He did this, uh, like, waistcoat, black waistcoat with a white shirt and looking really, uh, really elegant and aristocratic, and, I don't know, he's looking, he's looking sweet. Looking thin and his white. Hair, his hair at the time was his only good hairstyle of the 70s, in my opinion. Hmm. That guy, you know, much as I love my Bowie. <laughs> so many mullets. So, so many mullets. Sir Mullets. Sir Mullets. Sir Mullet Bullets a lot. Uh, so I liked it. His hair was like slicked back and it was like red with streaks of blonde in there. And I don't know, it worked somehow. It looks looks pretty sweet. All right, so- and uh, and he was all crooning all over the place, but yeah. still in, very much in character of the white, the great white duke. There is a live album that was released from that in from a May performance. It's actually like three days after he was arrested. Oh. Apparently, um, that wasn't released until 2010. Officially, it was a bootleg for many, many years. Okay, so that will not that will count towards 2010 and not towards 76. Correct. But, so I've got per, to listen to per our ridiculous rules. For ridiculous rules, it's really it's really great. So I got to give him a point for the tour, also. Great. And finally, okay. we have the Man Who Fell to Earth, which is his first starring role in a movie. He had like cameos in a couple other movies before that, but this was his first real role. So the Man Who Fell to Earth is the main plot of it is that Bowie is an alien who uh, comes to Earth to get water because his home planet is running out of water. Um, and he's supposed to get it back to his family. So he does this by, first of all, he's, they have higher technology than we do. So he applies for like hundreds of patents in all kinds of different areas and sets up these giant corporations and makes just gobs and gobs of money. And the goal from there is to just construct this spaceship or something and get it back to Earth. Um, the movie is super weird. It's directed by Nicholas Rogue. Have you ever seen any of his movies? I don't think so. I think the only, I think the only other movie I've seen by him is Performance, which has um, Mick Jagger in it. No. It's nuts. It's all about like 60s gangsters, and there's, I don't know. All, the two movies I've seen by him are these two. Both of them have tons of sex. So Great. You, you, it's a good movie, but be warned, you're going to see more of Bowie than you ever probably wanted to see. I'll be right I know, back. I know I saw more of Bowie than I wanted to see of Bowie, because you're going to see it all. It's all there. Anyway. I'm never watching that movie. No, that's okay. It's all right. It's an intense, weird, it's a very strange movie. And the, the narrative process like kind of breaks down as the movie goes on. It starts by making a lot of sense and it gets kind of strange. He falls in love with this woman and they're in this longer relationship and he doesn't age, but she does. And it gets, eventually they, she leaves him and he ends up just very depressed and drunk and, uh, and just sitting around. And he eventually gets, uh, well, I don't want to do too many spoilers. Not that there's a lot of spoilers in this movie. Sounds like a crowd This movie's person. also... It's also notable because uh, Bowie's 2016 or 2015, 2016 musical, Lazarus, is a sequel to the what? movie. There's an original, the movie's based on a book, which I've also read, but really the musical is a sequel to the movie, not the book, 
which is interesting. So it's going to come up again later. Anyway, his acting is excellent in it. Wow. The movie is overall quite good. I'm giving him like I'm giving him two bonus points for Plus this two. movie. Does All that right. sound fair? Yep. Sounds good. I think I think Seems he earned notable. it on this one. His first big thing. So Bowie has a mammoth year here. Yeah, he did have a big year. I thought Four, Dylan five, would be closer, six, but seven, Dylan didn't no. do enough extra. He didn't stuff. do enough. He didn't do enough Bowie, extra stuff. Bowie's coming in hot with an eleven on nineteen seventy six. Alright, so you have an eleven by your estimation, yeah. and it looks like yeah. I'm going to come in, just trying to think. He had no best ofs. He only had two did you get, singles. Did you get the tour on there? I got the tour. I'm going to put a plus one because yeah, it's just one of his most famous tours, and yeah, it's not a yeah. lot of extra points. So um, He had no other – I don't think he wrote for anybody else. I don't think he had any other – I mean, the TV special I would just give a zero. I wouldn't give it a negative. There was nothing <laughs> – there was nothing negative about it, but there was nothing yeah. particularly positive about it, so I'm not even going right. to score it. So it looks like I'm going to have a four, three – Oh, I only got a five for Dill. All right. Okay, but, so Bowie definitively wins the year, but we also need to introduce our uh, our ranking systems um, by name for how well we think each of our artists did. Wait, so, what now? <laughs> so you're saying... Okay. You're saying that Bowie had a good yeah. year, so we're going to call yeah, that... Year. We're going to call that a glowy. Oh, <laughs> oh, that whole thing. Yeah, that's thought, right. Thought We're you doing might it. About that. No, I'm not going to forget. <laughs> okay, right, I love go. glowy. So a good year is is apparently a glowy. Yep. Thanks to Jake. Thanks. Thanks. What's that's... a bad year for a bow? Is it a noey? It's a blowy. A blowy. <laughs> a blowy. Well, but you know, this in some ways was a blow year. A blowy year. For, yeah, for I know, but we're gonna have to set aside your obsession with cocaine terms for a second. <laughs> Tell you that's what this year is all about. <laughs> and. uh... You know, maybe this idea will just break down. This may be a terrible <laughs> idea. Now that it's I say it, how, how do you? What do you give it to? Do you give Bob a uh, killing? Oh yeah, Bob, for sure. Bob killing. Bob killing instead of a Bob villain. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Both of those seem like they could be either one, either good or bad. I know. No, Bob. Bob. <laughs> Bob be killing. He be killing. All right. The important thing here, Jake. Yeah. Is that Bowie wins. He did. And okay. As of right now, Bowie is winning the entire thing. That's right. He's gonna so take it all. he's going to win every single year across the decades, and it'll be it. Just want you know. I think that you are underestimating Bob Dylan. <laughs> that is possible. It's just it's possible. So, but I am interested to mind, see. We are just at about forty-five minutes here. Yeah. Like, which is a good amount of time. That's like an LP length. That's a good amount of time. That's what we want. LP list. So next time, we are going to be taking a look at Sweet Sweet 1969. Woo! Going back. Going back a little bit to, uh, yeah, the only year that Bowie mattered in the 60s. And and Dylan didn't matter at all in the 60s, right? I think he had like a half a good year in the 60s. Half a good year in the 60s. And it was not 1969, unfortunately. <laughs> so, tune in next time yeah. to... Uh, in two weeks, we're going to try to keep this going every two weeks um, for 1969. Alrighty. Bye. And with that, this is Charlie for Bowie signing off. And this is Jake for Dylan, also signing off, but better. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>